Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the EDH RecCast. I'm Joey Schultz and I'm joined by my fantastic co-host. He loves Phyrexia All Will Be One so much that he can't wait for the sequel, Phyrexia All Will Be Two. It's Matt Morgan. So Joey, you want to know what the biggest difference is between me and a calendar? Uh, wait, wait, wait. I know this one because you have a... You don't have a, it's something to do with dates. No, I don't know. I'm bad at the date. Okay, well, it is. You aren't far off, but a calendar actually had a date on Valentine's Day. There it is. That I, I did have a date myself. My partner, I had a fantastic time, but it, for the sake of the joke, I can, I can take one on the chin. Self-deprecating humor is one of my favorite types of humor, Matt. So I really appreciate you putting your heart on the line out there so that you can make everyone happy with all of the dad jokening. Yeah, I mean, it, it, my dad joke game about calendars, it's not very weak, but. Uh, oh, yeah. wow. Wow. Okay. Oof, wait, that was that was well done. Live, laugh, love that for me. Oh, I'm, wow. I'm glad oh. that you stalled just long <laughs> enough for that one to kick in. But anyway, we, we can proceed now. We don't. <laughs> yes, yes, we can. Um, and this week we will not be joined by our usual co-host, Dana. He happened to find some glistening oil, got a couple of poison counters, and he needed to get, you know, get that checked out. So he won't be with us for this episode, but um, I'm sure that he's somewhere dad joking everyone else around him, much like we always love to do. So we wish him the absolute best and hope that Phyrexian oil problem sorts itself out soon i think you should complete this intro and uh <laughs> keep moving along that's that's just me though well done all right yeah this is the edh Recast. edh rec is the best deck building resource on the web for the commander format compiling data from deck lists all over the internet to provide helpful recommendations for new commander decks and here on the podcast what we like to do is give all of that data a little more context and matt can you tell us what it is that we're going to be talking about in this week's episode well, this week, we're going to take advantage of Dana being gone and talk about <laughs> cards that are maybe kind of emblematic of, of bigger problems in the format and, and see if it's really, if the problem exists on one card or if it extends beyond just that single entity of, of that problem. Yeah, I think that's a nice way to phrase it. There are certain yeah. things out there that have a big reputation and we want to investigate is that reputation earned for, say, like a whole mechanic, or are there sometimes just individual cards that are the source of that reputation and kind of spoil it for the rest of that subject, the rest of that mechanic, the rest of that group yeah. of cards, or, or whatever, stuff like that, those little emblematic problems. And you said take advantage of Dana being gone. Are we going to have a scrap? Are we on different sides about these issues? Are we going to be debating? Is that what this is? I mean, we can turn it into one. We can, we can throw hands with words, <laughs> but... <laughs> That, that doesn't work too well. Throw hands with words. With words. This this is the type of fire content that people come to the EDH Redcast <laughs> to hear. All right. It'll be a fun uh, fun subject for sure. But we've got a couple of shout outs that we want to do first. First and foremost, we want to shout out Chase, also known as Mana Curves, for helping with the post-production on the show. Chase, thank you so, so much. You're such a great asset to the EDH Rec team. We love you bunches. 
And if you'd like to support the show, you can do so by liking, subscribing on YouTube. You can subscribe on your podcast app. You can leave us a review on your podcast apps as well. We always love seeing those. Or you can head over to patreon.com slash edhretcast, where you can get yourself a little something back by supporting the show there. Whether you want to see all the episodes a day early, you want to join the Discord community, there's all of that and more over at patreon.com slash edhretcast, including the coveted weekly shout-out. So this week, we want to give a very special shout-out to Marcus Klafka. So thank you so much. Uh, you're so close to being Marcus Kafka, but I see you metamorphosized away from that. And uh, wow, Marcus, we do appreciate the support. Thank you so much. Wow. I did not expect a coffee. Wow. Metamor- okay. Well, you, you are. <laughs> Metamorphosis actually is a magic card. It is a way to make mana in mono green, <laughs> which has never been done before. I don't know if you know that or not, Joey. You are a master of your craft, and it's a little bit terrifying, I'm not going to lie. Like, I think we've given you too much power with the dad jokening that's going on here. It, it is my blessing, but it is also my curse at the same time. So, yeah. dad here we are. Just, enemy. Yes. Yes. <laughs> okay. Let's get into our topic here, talking about emblematic problems, whether these are actually issues or if there are sometimes just individual cards that might have soured a reputation for a whole subject within the game of commander specifically the edh format um and yeah the reason that we're talking about this is definitely because phyrexia all will be one has given us a bunch more poison cards out there so poison is certainly a thing that is on everyone's mind and that seems like the most sensible place to start right so the way that i guess we're kind of phrasing this one is like is poison actually the problem or are there individual cards insert triumph of the hordes discussion here um that are kind of souring the reputation of poison and uh matt i guess let's uh pass it off to you and what do you think about poison in edh and how the whole mechanic is or how individual cards are and where you think the problem quote unquote actually might be so never before has it been easier to put poison counters on your opponents or at least that's kind of the argument and i don't know (laughs) if it's worthy of in this case the the kind of the request from the community towards the rules committee is raising the limit so you don't need 10 poison counters you need 20 now and i really don't know if it's because poison is the issue or toxic or infect or anything or people have just lost so many games out of the blue to triumph for the hordes that that's where the issue is (laughs) That's, I'm I'm with you on that one. I feel like uh, I've seen a common refrain a couple of times from a couple of different people um, who like to make the stance, you don't hate poison, you just hate Triumph of the Hordes. Or you don't hate poison, you just dislike Tainted Strike. Yeah. And the out-of-nowhere aspect of those cards is, I think, one of the really big things that makes it feel a little bit... Uh, a, a little bit sour maybe is a a word that i kind of keep coming back to Mm -hmm. um you know if a triumph of the hordes gives all of your stuff plus one trample and the infect that can suddenly feel like oh the game is over and there was no way that i was fighting against that or tainted strike is an instant that gives plus one plus oh and infect to a creature and that's a thing that you know dane is not here but he's with us in spirit and he frequently (laughs) turns one of your nine or ten or eleven power usually trampley creatures that's coming at me into suddenly a 12 power infector by putting a tainted strike on it and then suddenly i've lost out of nowhere and there are moments where that can be really funny but there are also moments where it's just like oh i I guess the game is just over now um and i feel like those two cards tend to be one of the main ways that the reputation of poison gets that bad rap as it were because i don't feel like a lot of poison guards themselves are actually that much of an issue i mean like cyst bearer which is just a little infect creature that has that that shows up in fewer than three thousand decks in in the format you know so that's just sort of the, the the basis of this one See, I and and I understand where the concern from the community is about this with toxic and there's just a lot more sources of cards that are are going to give. Well, I guess there are a lot more cards that are sources of those poison counters with the new toxic mechanics. So whenever a creature deals combat damage, it deals X or the opponent that is hit with that creature gets X poison counters. Now, yes, that sounds scary and there's a lot more, but there is a huge, massive, also still huge difference between the toxic X mechanic and infect as a as a mechanic itself. Mm-hmm. Infect dealing damage to opponents in the form of poison counters means it scales with power and toughness. You can cast pump spells. That There's a reason why Infect for a while was a very, very powerful deck in any 60-card format because you were able to so easily scale 
the the power of the creature with pump spells so that you were able to hit your opponent instantly for 10 damage. Well, that, that doesn't carry over quite as well into Commander where you might be able to kind of rocket missile somebody to the face, but then you still have two other opponents you got to deal with and you just spent all your resources. So I understand where the concern is because, in fact, historically, when it first came out, it was a very scary mechanic. Mm. But I think that the format has kind of caught up to what Infect was doing. And I I also don't remember the last time a Triumph of the Hordes won a game at, a, at an event that I was at. So part of me wants to say it's much to do about nothing, but also I don't want to completely sweep it under the rug because it is still a powerful mechanic. I feel like with Triumph of the Hordes, as and especially like that, that's an interesting use case because I, I feel to me it feels as though anytime the Triumph of the Hordes would have won the game, the card Overwhelming Stampede mm-hmm. also would have won the game in that same situation, pumping up all the creatures by double and making them trampley tends to end a whole lot of games too. Yeah. And as a quick note of comparison for some, like let, let's start throwing some numbers out here because I think this will be the most informative to my opinion here. Like Triumph shows up in fifty three thousand decks, and Overwhelming Stampede shows up in fifty seven thousand. Like again, I see quite a bit of the correlation there and these just feel like the same type of spell in that ilk and there are probably more than just the two culprits here it's not just triumph and tainted strike there's also the issue of like a grafted exoskeleton or a phyresis can also cause some of those out of nowhere wins but i feel like the out of nowhere nature of those cards specifically is what can cause the infect to feel a little bit more of that sour note but if those cards were like mentioned in a pregame discussion if someone's just like oh yeah you know sometimes i'll try for the hordes win or uh i've, I've tainted strike a couple of people with this one that's something that i would know to be prepared for and I would mm-hmm. feel a little bit more tension with that, knowing what's what's going on going in there. And I wouldn't feel like, I don't know, I suddenly got got in a way that was like uh, dishonest or anything like that. I'd be kind of like, ooh, I'm going to keep my eye out. And that would be a fun thing to pay attention to in the game. But also I, I'm trying to think of, and of course, this is anecdotal. This is just my own personal experiences. But you're also talking to somebody who enjoys the combat step a whole heck of a lot. Mm-hmm. And... <laughs> Triumph of the Hordes is a powerful card, but I also don't know if it's outstanding compared to stuff like Pathbreaker Ibex sure. or yeah. Surge to Victory or any of these other huge, I'm going to pump up my entire team in a massive way because, yes, Triumph of the Hordes gives Infect and plus one, plus one. Like, it does a lot of work when you're punching through because you only need to deal 10 damage. But when you figure Pathbreaker Ibex is always buffing the you know your entire team by plus six, plus six or whatever... So it, that kind of just scales along with what you need to be doing anyway. So it, I understand. And, and yes, it, having another way to deal poison counters to your opponents with toxic one or two. But again, it, combat damage happens and you only get one or two. You could, it could be a 20-20, but it's only going to get one poison counter from it. <laughs> that is a massive, massive difference in, in how it's going to be kind of carried out. Now, I I could be totally wrong. People could be taking advantage of the 100 of proliferate cards in in this, you know, once now, excuse me, now that all uh, all will be one has come out. That could completely change everything and I could be totally wrong and I'm more than happy to be wrong, but until I actually see it, I I don't think that infect or try for the hordes specifically. I don't think either of these two items are really a problem. They're powerful, but not a problem. Right. I think that like Triumph can be an individually powerful standout. I think Tainted Strike is an individually powerful thing, but I think those color the impression of the rest of the mechanic in a way that I don't think is entirely fair to the rest of the mechanic. Right. And I want to go into even further numbers here because, again, I think it illustrates the point. Like, there are 69 cards that have the infect keyword on it. There are two cards with the keyword poisonous, which also gives up poison counters. And only 15 total of those cards appear in more than 10,000 decks on EDH Rec. And now there are approximately like 57 new cards that have the toxic keyword, plus 25 new ones that give up poison counters in in some other way as well. But like, again, only 15 of those that we're seeing so far are showing up in more than 10,000 decks. And that is, to me, a very important number. And I don't think the new toxic stuff is enough to make a dramatic shift up towards that or to to boost a whole bunch of those. I mean, even looking at what the card Icarats Icarats is a cool one. It enters, it gives each opponent a poison counter, and that shows up in 13,000 decks, and that's a respectable number, but a full third of its popularity is devoted just from Atraxa Infect decks, and that's important to keep in mind about where this is all actually allocated. Mm-hmm. So yeah, this one feels to me like the Triumph card is emblematic 
of a problem in a way that the problem itself isn't actually, quote, a problem. It's not a mechanic-based thing that is actually an issue. It's just a couple of individual cards here. So that, I guess, is our first example. And and yeah, and if, it's, if we're going to talk about one or two cards versus the entire problem, I think we have better luck arguing that chaos as a type of card like that those cards like scramble verse and scramble verse yeah like those are the types of cards that i think the mechanics an issue and shouldn't be around but we're not here to discuss that today well no that's a good contrast like yeah i I think that you can take any like the idea of a chaos card in general feels like more of a problem and i don't think there's probably any way to do one of those chaotic everyone's permanents belong to different players reshuffle everything like the concept of those feels like there's no way to do that in a way that won't be an issue so like that whole grouping of cards does feel like it doesn't have an individual card that's giving it a bad reputation <laughs> like i don't want to yeah. go against thieves thieves auction or scramble verse or war pearl like all of those <laughs> seem to have the same problem which isn't true of like in fact like we were just talking about i think that's a great example yeah it, it's just something like every mechanic has an opportunity to be abused and we'll probably talk about a few more throughout the course of the show but it, to me I struggle to say that even with all the new sources of, of poison counters, infect and, and poison, it's not an issue yet. If we might see something in uh, the, the next set, who knows? So that moves us to the next one, which I think is going to also be kind of thorny. And I don't know if we'll have the same takeaway. Mm-hmm. So now let's move to treasures as a concept and whether treasures in general are in some way a problem. Or is it just the case that there are some individual cards like Dockside Extortionist, for example, which is okay. on the tip of a lot of tongues out there. Like, is it just the case that certain individual treasure cards like Dockside are giving all treasure cards a bad rap? Or are all treasure cards actually, like, is this a mechanic that is worrying in certain ways? So, like, let's try talking about that. Uh, where, where where do you stand with treasures? So, I think Dockside Extortionist is a problem because treasures are a problem. And I know that doesn't make any sense, but hear me out. So, so treasures kind of got started to get stapled on everything in the past year. Or so new Capenna, the, whole, the the joke was, why can't you be a normal magic card? And then the kid screaming in the background makes a makes a treasure token. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, so treasure has become so prevalent that it's everybody has treasures now on accident, which means Dockside Extortionist has gotten that much more powerful. It already was a very good card because it was at the time. One of the only cards and one of the only ways to make treasure tokens, but the amount, like the the clutter of the battlefield in 2023 has gotten so much more complicated than it was even when Dockside first came out a couple of years ago. And so hmm. Dockside to me is the the banner card for treasures being a problem. So I'm, I'm going to agree with you that treasures are a problem, but... Because the the more of a problem treasures have become, the more of a problem the banner card in Dockside Extortionist has gotten. Okay, okay. Because I think maybe, maybe this is where we do actually get out our, our, our wordy fisticuffs. Because to me, I'm kind of on team don't care as much about the Dockside. I think that it is okay. a, amongst a bigger issue rather than like like the the single issue so you're taking a both approach and i'm taking a just a problem in general approach um so we, we have a slight disagreement but it's also not much of a disagreement but no but listen it, i'm trying to have a debate with you matt uh, okay okay so, you're wrong um, there we go uh, cool all right we have officially <laughs> de- begun debate um i i do think that like the the cards that we've seen treasure stuff do i it feels to be like it is erring a lot more towards problem in general because it tends to be the case that whenever i see a treasure making card in a deck it is often such a standout in the deck that it is played in like when an old knobbone comes down i feel like it transforms the game when a smothering tithe comes down it definitely shifts part of the landscape of that game when a professional facebreaker comes down it transforms a game when yeah. a storm killing yeah. the artist comes down doing all the stormy stuff okay so, like, so, so you have examples okay right and and even the <laughs> niche ones like pitiless plunderer for example which you know when your stuff dies you make treasure mm-hmm. that can be one of the most powerful cards in the decks and which it is played, like a Tesa Karlov giving you double the number of treasures, or being straight up a combo engine and Chatterfang deck, for example. So I feel like the treasure cards that we do tend to see are more of there there are more of them that are more of an issue simply because they become some of the most important cards in their respective decks. And and see, I get that. And my struggle, I guess, is that they took perfectly normal cards 
And then they made a version that just, it was just better because they were able to make a treasure off of it. So I, for me, a good example of treasures just becoming everywhere is they pushed out a lot of other cards. Hmm. So Village Rights, for example, that was a perfectly playable card. Single black mana, sacrifice creature, you draw two cards. Great. That's a great simple effect. But then they added Deadly Dispute. And so they're just taking all of these cards that already, we're, we're already playing a bunch of these cards, but they're making a better version of it by because you're, maybe you have to pay a mana extra, but you're getting a treasure or two treasures. So it, it effectively becomes a ritual in practice. <laughs> treasures, like one of the, the fundamental resources of the game is the mana system. That's one thing that makes magic unique to other card games. And being able to kind of skirt around downfalls in that, and maybe not downfalls, but the challenges in the mana system, I would say. Yeah, every card that gives you treasure is cheating around a certain amount of mana costs. Exactly, like, yeah. And and so, y yes, there's the upfront cost, but then it refunds you that cost later on. And that's where I think treasures, it becomes too much of a good thing. You're, you're eating ice cream all the time and <laughs> Daddy Rosewater needs to sit down with the R&D team and say, you need to eat some vegetables. You can't have all this ice cream. And, and that's the problem. And so... Because treasures have become so prevalent, the best ways to make treasures, like Smothering Tithe, like Dockside Extortionist, they just become that much more egregious because they were so early in the stages of making treasures that they didn't know how to balance it quite yet. They've gotten better, but those first few misses where they swung too hard, boy, they just got out of hand. Right. See also, like you were talking about how those cards can feel upgrade in certain ways, like see also Lotus Cobra, Landfall, Get a Mana, which would be yep. a temporary thing, being upgraded now into Tireless Provisioner, which gives you a treasure on a Landfall, and also can give you food if you ever need it, but why would you need it? You're going to make so much mana. In case you need a snack mid-game, yeah. I, I guess, yeah. Like, And so I want to go to numbers again for this one, which I think in comparison to how we saw only 15 cards with uh, poison granting abilities are hitting above the 10,000 deck mark, this is a number that I find very important for the treasure discussion there are approximately 170 cards that say create treasure token on them doing a scryfall search on that and 75 of those appear in 10,000 decks or more according to the edh rec database and that to me is a lot that is 44 percent of all cards that say treasure on them that say create treasure token on them showing up in 10,000 decks and, you know, some of the biggest names, of course, are way above that. You know, Smothering Tithe is showing up in 28% of all decks that can play it. Dockside is appearing in 19% of all decks that are eligible to play it. But yeah, a 44% metric there on the whole mechanic, that is a more alarming figure to me. And that is why I lean on, this is kind of a, a general problem rather than there's only one mascot of the problem. Yeah, but, but like, do you remember, Joey, when we first saw Treasures and Revel and Riches was kind of a oh there, there's no way anybody ever wins this way but uh -huh. now you win this way on accident yeah <laughs> you be, remember those days it is a lot easier to win with revel and riches these days yeah and this is obviously a thing that people have talked a lot about in the community rnd has certainly heard feedback about this issue but when it comes to is there a specific mascot that's causing a problem versus is it actually an issue i feel like the numbers here are what inform my opinion that treasures are still a thing that i'm just like i hope that they don't get too willy-nilly about these because it is it we, we we certainly saw some 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 landscape shift when all this went sure, down. Sure. And 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 I, I still stand by, yes, the landscape has shifted, but the more it shifts, the more it continues to make the worst cards even more worser. So <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry, Matt. Even even more worser? Um, See, people listen to the EDH retcast to listen to our <laughs> our fantastic vernacular. It's uh a broadened compared to the typical podcast. <laughs> Indeed, it is. We are we are splendiferous wordsmiths. And, we and, have word fisticuffed very well. <laughs> I think a word that everyone should work into their everyday uh, word case of of great availableness <laughs> um, is the word segue, which we're going to do because we're going to work our way into challenging some stats in no, this fantastic segue, Matthew. Of <laughs> Of knowledge. Oh my goodness. For folks who don't know, I haven't <laughs> been able to segue into challenge the stats for how many episodes now they keep taking it from me? I thought because Dana wasn't here. We, we've been challenging the segue is what's really been happening. Um, that's <laughs> that's the ultimate challenge is letting Joseph here host the show the way he, he would, <laughs> wants to host. 
Dana's. I thought that since Dana wasn't here, I'd be able to like have a better chance at making the segues between different topics. But but no, I have been thwarted once again. All right, Matt, you're right. There's a lot of data on EDH rec, and we don't always agree with all of it. Sometimes we like to challenge those stats. So let's take a quick break and come back with those. All right. Well, since I stole the segue, I'm also going to steal the first challenge. But <laughs> if it makes you feel better, Joey, the challenges are listener submitted challenges stats this week. And I actually, I really, really enjoy this. Uh, I like the thought process behind it. And plus, it's an overplayed challenge, which we always are a big fan of that. So mm. uh, one of our listeners went to patreon.com slash joined our Discord community, and they submitted a challenge. Uh, so Shade Elite Gruel Mage. Uh, so likes to go stompy, had a really good challenge this week and said, hello, fellas, today I would like to make a challenge for Finn the Fangbear, which is the legendary human warrior that deals all with death touch creatures and says whenever a creature you control with death touch deals combat damage to a player, that player gets two poison counters. Speaking of poison counters, everyone. So Shade goes on to say the card I would like to challenge today is Hornet Nest. This three mana O2 generates a 1-1 insect with flying and death touch for each point of damage dealt, which seems handy, except no one will ever attack into it. The deck is full of death touching blockers and you almost never have ground attackers sent your way. The nest wants to be in a deck that can manually cause damage to it. But even the handful of creature damaging spells in this deck specify only creatures and opponent controls, meaning fight cards. It's in 65% of Finn decks and I think that number should be much closer to zero. So Shade, I really actually agree with you. I think this thought process that you have behind it is absolutely a, a very, very good catch. You are right. You have a ton of death-touching blockers. That's just kind of what Finn the Fangbearer does. And so nobody's ever going to attack you when you have you have a, just a bunch of 1-1 one, one death-touchers. People are just not going to attack into you unless they have a way to give their creatures first strike or some way to make it evasive. So more often than not, you're playing a card that wants you to get attacked while also putting it in a deck full of cards that make it so that nobody wants to attack you. I like this thought process a lot. I think it's a very good catch. And you need to find ways to make Hornet Nest be put into the situation to block. And this just isn't the deck for it at all. So very, very good catch shade. I like this a lot. Um, and yeah, just keep sending us these overplayed challenges because these are just great ways to find out what the community is doing when maybe they shouldn't. Yeah. I'm absolutely on board for that. And Matt, I actually also have an overplayed challenge the stats for my submission here too. Okay. And this is actually one that we've mentioned on a previous show, probably like, I don't know, back in like episode 40 or something like that. So I think it's all right to bring it back for this one. Um, but the card Days Undoing is still showing up in about 6,000 decks and specifically in some commanders that it just, it, it, it does a non-bow thing with them. And I just, it's not, it just gives me the sadness on the stack and then the sadness resolves. So anyway, Days Undoing is a three mana blue sorcery. Each player shuffles their hand and graveyard into their library, then draws seven cards. And if it's your turn, you end the turn, which means that you exile all spells and abilities on the stack, including this card. And then you discard down to hand size and all of that jazz. But yeah, you'll exile all spells and abilities that are on the stack which means if you're playing this in like a Nikazar deck which would deal damage to your opponents when they draw cards well those damage triggers go away or if you're playing this in the new Quasar Augur of Agonies because you've drawn cards to make your opponents lose life nope those triggers are exiled from the stack as well and this will also be true of Zyrus the Writhing Storm a whole bunch of those those triggers will not actually resolve and yet this card still shows up in 12% of Nikazar decks it shows up in 8% of Quasar decks it shows up in almost 8% of Zyrus decks so, you know, that's a thousand decks, 300 decks, 350 decks, respectively. And I just don't think that this card is good enough to warrant play in those situations because you've got a lot of other wheels that you can choose from. And those wheels actually will allow you to get the card draw triggers and the damage that you want to deal to resolve on the stack. So, yeah, this is an old challenge, but the 6,000 folks out there still playing Days Undoing take a very critical look at it because this card doesn't actually synergize with the commanders that want to make all of the people draw all of the cards. So, yeah, be very critical of your wheels. So I, I just all, I always feel super flattered when you and Dana steal my challenges from two years ago. So it's a nice <laughs> warm feeling that like maybe on some level you were listening to me all along. 
Well, and that's just it. That's my sadness is that those those folks from two years ago weren't listening to you now because it's still showing up in all those decks. So I feel like we got to keep challenging <laughs> this until that number goes down, right? <laughs> so that's that's fair. I just want more people to listen to your wonderful wordsmithingness. Okay, Matt? Word, wordsmithingness, yes. Um, smashing yeah. the, the English language into smithereens, as it were. Uh, but <laughs> I mean, it's true. Yeah. Well, let's get back okay. into the regular show. So, Joey, I know that the next point you have on here is one that you, we've talked about a lot, but you always seem to have a certain vigor for arguing the yeah. merits and demerits of this mechanic. So, this one we're <laughs> going to talk about the eminence mechanic versus Edgar Markov and the Ur-Dragon, which are the two kind of marquee cards for the eminence ability. So, eminence is the one that your commander has the ability whether they're on the battlefield or in the command zone. And that makes that makes a lot of things happen. So so <laughs> the the struggle, I guess, Joey, and, and feel free to jump in if I'm doing this wrong, but the struggle with the mechanic is that you just can't interact with it no matter what happens. Uh, Edgar Markov, for example, whenever you cast a vampire spell, even if Edgar Markov is in the command zone, you're still going to get Edgar Markov's ability, even if he hasn't been cast, which is very unique because... Typically, you're building your whole deck around cards that they have to be on the battlefield to do anything. Yeah, that tends to be the issue that I see crop up with the eminence thing. And for the record, I agree that, yeah, it's probably not the best design space to ever go into with these things that you cannot interact with in game. And eminence tends to be one of the biggest things that I see. A, a lot of folks are really not a fan of eminence and don't want Wizards of the Coast to ever do eminence again. But I don't fully agree with that. And I do think that Edgar Markov and the Ur-Dragon having as powerful eminence effects as they have, is sort of fueling a bit of that fire, whereas a card like Arabo that also has an eminence ability feels perfectly fair to me, where it just gives one of your cats a random plus three plus three, even if Arabo is still in the command zone. And the other thing that actually makes me really appreciate the eminence ability, especially with uh, the way it was done in the 2017 Commander product, with stuff like Arabo or with vampires and things like that, is that it did actually force quite a bit of a deck building restriction in a very organic way like to your opponents it may not feel like it was that big of a restriction for you during the middle of the game where you're getting those extra benefits but the cost the price of the eminence is a thing that you pay during the deck building process and i like stuff that encourages you to pay a price during the deck building process that encourages a certain restriction and the creature type eminence stuff really really encourages that well so if we saw other eminence commanders in the future that had stuff similar to arabo rather than being ultra powerful in the way that edgar markov is i'd personally be kind of okay with that because i think that there's still more that you could do with that design space and it doesn't bug me that you can't interact with it because of where the cost was paid see and i don't even know if edgar markov's ability if you released that today it would be very very powerful i'm not saying it's not but i think that the rest of the format has we we did an episode not too long ago about how Curves are still getting lower and lower. The, the average mana cost of a, of a deck and cards in the deck is getting lower to kind of match what Edgar Markov did years ago, hmm. but it kind of led the charge. So it was just years ahead of the design space. I don't know if Edgar Markov would be as bad. It would still be a very powerful commander and, and a lot of folks would certainly play it. I think the Ur-Dragon is the really bad offender of the Eminence ability because you're, you're putting a cost reduction. You're not just getting a 1-1 token you're getting a flat cost reduction on all of your dragons, which historically have been a very expensive creature type to cast. And so putting that in the command zone so that you don't ever have to cast it, you're getting a, a cost reduction on all of your dragons, plus the ability once Ur-Dragon does get on the battlefield is absolutely just bug nutty. <laughs> and that's where I think the problem was. I Ur-Dragon is, I believe, I, I would say two pushed. Edgar Markov... If you released it now, it would be good, but not broken. I think Ur-Dragon still is broken. Interesting. I see. I actually kind of flop on uh, on that one. Really? I actually, I don't like Edgar because there is kind of no reason for you ever to cast it. Whereas the Ur-Dragon's ability, when it's in play, 
where you draw a whole bunch of extra cards, that at least does incentivize me to actually finally cast the dang thing. And that is a better design <laughs> to, to me, at the very least. So maybe that's just the way that I'm that I'm looking through it. And I think Edgar Markov is still perfectly powerful. It's, like, absolutely still very good. Yeah, Edgar Markov is, yeah, I, I, like I said, I, I'm not saying it's not powerful or it wouldn't be like, oh, man, this thing is pushed. But I, I don't think that the reaction that it originally had would be as resounding today ur dragon people would still soil themselves <laughs> for seeing it um be, wow i but i and i uh, so that said to your point joy and to the point of this question is is eminence the problem or the commander's a problem i don't know if eminence is worth revisiting i guess is the way that i would want to put it it's a powerful mechanic but it also wasn't popular among people to play against there were people that loved playing the original version that we saw of of eminence with aloro sure. which was one of the most played commanders of all time for the longest time yep for the first years of people playing commander aloro was the marquee commander because you just you gaining life every turn no matter what right off the bat absolutely so eminence it was a cool thought process, and I think that in theory, it's a it's a cool design ability. I also don't know if it's worth messing around with because it's kind of like companions, which is another contentious topic. I know, Joy, <laughs> but it, it's kind of those. Could you? Yes. Should you? Probably not. Is where I land on eminence. Companions is a very good counterpoint to this because while I said I enjoy what Eminence can do to organically make it feel like you want to build with a deck building restriction, and I personally wouldn't be too bothered if we saw more Arabo type Eminence stuff. Companions as a counterpoint to that, I never want to see another <laughs> curse word, curse word, curse word companion in my curse word life. Like I just okay that from like the that is a thing. There's no single. It's not like oh just Lutri wasn't. It's not like oh just Luris. Like no, every single facet of the companion design was bad. Like that is a, a case where no, the whole thing deserves the reputation that it got, and I. I just it's just not good and obviously it was not good much more for other formats where it behusted them in half and then they had to change the mechanic and it was still behusted in half the but, mechanic literally had to be changed for for 60 card formats yeah right like that does to me the companion design space is unsavable in a way that uh -huh. the eminence design space is not unsavable i think you can still make compelling sure. eminence stuff as long as you actually balance it whereas companions there's no such thing as balancing that to me it's just it's completely a lost cause and well and i everybody wants to talk about how they want to play lutri but lutri is literally a free card and if you take out the creature type and the cuteness factor <laughs> right. lutri is not a healthy card for the format and no, absolutely no. should not have ever been put into commander and in the rules committee rightfully so banded out the gates uh, if you want to rule zero it cool but you're you're basically getting a free card and i don't think folks really understand the power of that in in, an, in a big picture setting. Um, yep. That said, I don't think that Companion is irredeemable, but it's it's so hard to because there's th the situations that it creates socially, not the situations within the game, but I know, Joey, that one of your points you always make is people always have to like act like a hawk on the cards you play, and actually you can't play that card because you have Karuga as your Companion, socially that's more awkward than anything because especially when you're getting into the new player experience which you, you know me joey i i am always going to advocate for the the new player experience the people are just getting into the game because man that, that that's the, the best stage to be in with magic a companion can create the most feel bads for the new players who aren't really invested they don't understand the rules of the of the mechanic really or they don't understand you know uh, the uh, an example you like is the insult to injury card yeah, like if Obosh is your companion, all the cards in your deck have to have an odd converted mana cost. And there are cards like Insult Slash Injury, which has a three mana cost on one side and then a three mana cost on the aftermath half of that card. And it is not necessarily intuitive for folks that that is technically a card with a mana value of six because you see a three and a three and you aren't it's not always intuitive that you're supposed to add those together yep. uh, like yep. you would for other split cards and even then with split cards it's not always intuitive either so then you can absolutely create in 
instances where a person doesn't know that they've submitted an illegal deck when they're playing a game. And like, yeah, that's kind of like this embarrassing, like you're saying, the social problem there is the thing that sucks. And I, it's, it's not like when I'm playing against a person with a companion, I feel like, oh, I have to like watch every single thing in case I think that I'm distrustful of them. The issue that I have it is that when I'm playing with a companion, which I've tried a couple of times, but I feel like I am forcing a certain thing on my opponents where it feels like they have to watch the cards that I'm playing in case I've forgotten or missed something. And that's not what I want to focus on when I'm playing EDH, like at all. So, so yeah, to me, I don't see a redemption for this at, at all in any way, the way that I do for, you know, eminence or, or even like, uh, sorry, kind of a, a topic shift on you, Matt, but whatever, we're having a scrap. Uh, <laughs> but like also related to the, the discussion of like stuff that people can't always deal with. I also see sometimes flack get piled onto experience counters because they're also a thing that you cannot deal with. Okay. Like emblems or stuff like that. And there are a lot of folks who don't like experience, but I feel like that might be another case where maybe just a couple of very strong cards that use experience counters like Mizzix or Marin became a very dominant presence, but that doesn't mean that all experience counters are necessarily a bad thing. And in fact, we've seen them revisit experience counters with cards like uh, Kelsey and the Plague or Minthara, and those feel really fair and fun to me. So like that is a future that I could imagine for Eminence 2. Mm-hmm. It would have to be done much more carefully, and maybe you're right, it probably wouldn't be worth it to revisit. But to me, it's not that the entire design space of eminence was necessarily always a bad thing i just think that there were some individual big culprits and so yeah but no screw companions they suck <laughs> <laughs> and, and and so i i guess to 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 play devil's advocate for the the design team every time they've revisited a mechanic like and they learned their lessons and they were able to apply those lessons and, and every time that we've seen partner come back it's gotten progressively better and better so i I believe and I have trust in the design team that if they did revisit eminence or experience counters, it wouldn't be as such a problem. But I don't know if they I, I don't know if that's effort well spent is, is my question. And, and sure. you're right. Experience counters, having something that that players can't really interact with. I understand where that frustration comes from. And, and for a while, I had the same struggle with experience commanders. Uh, I even had one and I was still was like, this is kind of a problem that like I can get these. You can kill my commander. But the the benefit still remains when it comes back. It's just there. That seems silly. And so I I understand the frustration, but I also think that a lot of the power of the format has caught up to experience counters. Yeah. Not so much with eminence. And and companion, I, I don't even know. Honestly, I think the corner cases for the downside of companion, th- those are probably fewer and far between than the problems with eminence. It, it, if you had to ask my or ask me for my completely anecdotal experience, I would say companions cause less feel bads than eminence. Interesting. That's just me. That's that's my personal take. Be, because yeah, you come into the awkward situations, and I understand that they can be embarrassing, but also they kind of gave people an interesting deck building direction. The, the same thing that you said about Eminence. You said how, oh, well, it, it directed you and, and kind of put a deck building restriction on there. Like, that's the whole point of Companions. And so I like giving people some hoops to jump through if they want to add that challenge to their deck building process. I think that's absolutely fine and cool. And and something that, I honestly, like I'm doing that more with my own deck building just in general without Companions. So I like Companions in theory, whereas Eminence... I like less in theory. So I, I guess I, I didn't fully agree with you or fully disagree with you about Dockside and Treasures. Here, we're just flip-flopping completely. So, yeah. I, I, yeah, yeah. No, for, for me, the difference comes down to how organic it is to build a cat's deck versus how organic it is to build those specific restrictions because of how tight those restrictions need to be and how this was kind of just an example of Wizard saying that Commander was popular and they wanted to make Standard into Commander. The, the, the mo- if you want to question the motivation for Companion, I absolutely will get on board. Like I, I don't think that they should have done Companion. I understand why, um, but somebody should have... Basically, they they pulled a Christopher Nolan. Nobody said, hey, let's rethink this for a second. Let's let's (laughs) pull on the brakes a little bit. Well, especially because there were like design articles like going back over 12 years ago from Watsi designers. Well, not anymore. They're gone now. (laughs) This is true. Yeah. But they had articles (laughs) from way back when saying, oh, yeah, starting the game with a certain card in your hand all of the time is always a bad idea. And then 12 years later, they made 
Well, they make a bit, I don't know. Obviously, this is the thing that no, the discussion and the intricacies between those different companion between eminence between experience counters those are definitely interesting and you are absolutely right that i do like things that is that is going to encourage a certain type of restriction on your deck building but again i want it to be in an organic way and the thing that i think makes this a important discussion in the first place is that the community responses to these different mechanics i think we need to make sure that we leave room for nuance in there so that we can give wizards of the coast the right type of feedback so that they can continue to make more interesting cards if they think that all experience counters are completely a failure, then we never would have gotten cool cards like Kelsian, you know? And that is the kind of thing that I want to make sure that we, like, leave room for what the actual problem is rather than just labeling an entire mechanic an issue. Like Infect, for example, when really it might just be the fault of one or two or three cards or something that are giving the entire mechanic that bad name, so to speak. So yeah, you're, you're asking for a whole lot saying the internet should take nuance into, into account. So <laughs> I, I know that... I, I do agree with you, but... Um, you, you, I'm not going to say you're naive. You're giving the internet a lot of credit. No, to to be nuanced with discussions. I don't think I'm giving them a lot of credit. I'm saying we should. I don't think it always. Uh, okay. Do. Oh, okay. Well, uh, let, let's get into. How about let's we get just in, move let, on? Yeah, yeah. Let's get into um, maybe a couple last points. One that is completely not contentious at all. Simic is a value engine, easy mode, commander color. Yes or no. This is an interesting one. This is another thing that I see a lot of folks say online, that Simic is easy mode and that Simic is, especially a line that I see a lot is that it tends to just reward you for things that you're already doing. And in some cases, I can agree with that. But in a lot of other cases, I wonder whether Tatiova slash AC have just kind of like spoiled us on our impression of what Simic can do in general. And I feel like we don't always give room to see a lot of the creative designs that exist in Simic. So yeah, I don't know. I don't feel like uh, this is a, a very charitable or good faith uh, claim that people tend to make. I think that there's a little bit of resentfulness here that doesn't really always... It, it, does, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me because there are some very cool Simic things out there. Um, but I don't know. That's that, that's just me. I, I feel like it's not a properly applied criticism. But what do you think? So I'm actually going to agree in, in principle with the internet. Uh, so if you look at the top commanders that are in blue and green, so many of them revolve around just the basic resources of the game. AC of Tyrant of Gyre Strait. Uh, Tatiova Benthic Druid. Those are the, the two marquee ones. Whatever you do a land, you drew the card. It's it, it's just so easy. Um, you're getting a lot of resources, a lot of value for playing resources and just you're, you're the, the two most fundamental resources in the game between the mana system and drawing cards. All you need to do is that and you're just going to overwhelm people with all of that. But also... So many of the other top commanders also are doing that. Kin and Bonder Prodigy, you're you're getting extra mana for tapping things that make mana. You're also cheating cards into play. It, it's not until you really get to like Kumena, Tyrant of Araska, that you're seeing something kind of not super value engineer because it's at least focused onto Merfolk specifically. But everything else, it's it's a lot of Adrix and Nev, twin casters who are just Oh, you make a token? Double those! Ah, that's cool. That's where I think a lot of the struggles, and rightfully so, players have with the Simic color combination because green is very, very good at getting lands. Blue is very, very good at drawing cards. You put them together, what do you get? Bippity-boppity-boo, it's a Simic commander for you, so... Yeah, I'm not going to like put a hard defense here necessarily. Um, I just do see little designs like Ivy Gleeful Spell Thief, for example. Sure, which sure. Which is doing a fun thing with copying those auras. And I don't want this big reputation that Simic has gotten itself over the years to color our impression of a deck like Ivy, for instance, or when there are other strange things going on out there, like Knessos, Priest of, of Thassa, who's doing interesting stuff with Krakens and Leviathans. And I don't think that it is necessarily going to help us become better Magic players if we assume that Simic is always easy mode and that there's nothing clever about it, because I feel like there are definitely cool and cleverer designs coming out of for these colors, for sure. Um, you know, do we have Comas out there that are constantly spitting out a bunch of Serpents in ways that you can't get ever get rid of coma off the battlefield yeah am i pleased about that no not really but the reputation that tatiova or coma have earned shouldn't be applied to 
clever commanders like the little ivies out there that's that's kind of all that i'm that i you know i want to give it a little defense i mean my my struggle is yes there are the ivy gleeful spell thieves but they're few and far between i feel whereas other color combinations that historically people have kind of oh it's another boros commander ha ha it sucks <laughs> because then we everybody ignores those so it's the kind of the same thing where we get a unique and interesting looking Simic commander. Everybody blows over it. We get an interesting and, and actually like viable Boros commander. Everybody gloms over it because it, it's going along with the reputation that it has. Where it, and so, yes, everything for Simic. And, and a lot of it is just kind of on the players too. Like everybody says, oh, well, Simic only gets these things. Well, it kind of becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy because... Players play these super powerful AC Tyrant of Gary Strait decks, and then Wizards of the Coast goes to EDH Rec, which Gavin Verhey has very much said openly, oh yeah, we use EDH Rec every day. So they see the stats, and they see that, oh, these are the types of commanders in Simic people are playing, this is what's popular, this is what they must like, let's just explore this space some more, and so that's what we get. So it kind of becomes this circular thing where they release something, players latch onto it, Wizards see that they latch onto it, so they'd give us more of that. So if we want to see more cool Simic commanders that are interesting and in, in doing unique things like Ivy, we need to make sure that they know. And, and I will grant you that we also did just very recently get Azuri Stalker of Spheres that says, whenever you do a proliferate, you draw a card. And the whenever you X draw a card is yeah. a, a bit of a tedious thing to see uh, when it comes to you know commander designs, whenever you X a thing that you already wanted to do. You do Whenever you do draw. one thing, you get another thing. Yeah, the that that is a, a thing that I'm also a little fatigued by, but I just, yeah, I just, I hope that the reputation of one big thing doesn't allow those individual clever things to, uh, it doesn't force them to be avalanched over in a, a way that could be unfair to some of those really clever designs that do have a lot of very cool heart put into them. Matt, I have one last thing that I think might actually be, okay. our, it could be our biggest point of debate. And this is one okay. other th idea that I see floating around online a lot. And it's the idea, and I, I I do genuinely, I have heard this like a lot from people. Like a lot of people have said this. The idea that, okay. and I quote, all eight drops win the game. They should. Uh, they should. Okay. Well, see, and this is why I thought we might game, have. Games got to end. Game <laughs> Games don't need to last for three hours. Games no. can last an hour. And then you get to play another game. They super don't. But this that statement honestly is a little bit Rylan to me. I'm just like, I don't I don't like this because I don't think it's true. I think that this is one of the quintessential instances where someone is using Crater Hoof Behemoth as this like metonymic stand-in for all eight drops. And <laughs> and I just Crater Hoof Behemoth go burr, I get it. Sure. And like Crater Hoof Behemoth, yeah, that's a pretty big example of an eight drop that tends to make games go end. But saying all eight drops win the game. I don't know. I look through the most popular high mana value cards in the format, and it's stuff like Avacyn, which is just a eight eight that does a flying. It's not just a eight eight. Well, let's it's, let's read the rest of the card, Joseph. It's good. It gives your stuff indestructible. It is not ending a game as soon as you play it. Or like other big mana cards are like Darksteel Forge, Galta, Terastodon, Utvara Hellkite. I'm like, the game didn't end when any of these were played. <laughs> You're you're never actually casting Galta for its mana cost, so Fair that enough. one I'm that's gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna call shenanigans. <laughs> no, that's on point. that one. Uh, it, it, that's like that's like saying that uh, the Great Henge ends the game. Well, you're never paying it playing it for its mana cost. Let's 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 slow down. Um, so maybe instead of all eight drops win the game, quote, it should be all eight drops take over the game. End quote. That I yes they should you're you're investing a lot of mana and you're absolutely should be they should be strong enough if you're spending that much mana if you're investing that much of your resources that turn into one card it should take over the game if you're casting expropriate it should have a big effect <laughs> now people might respond differently to it whether they get rid of your thing they counter it whatever that is totally well within what they should be doing too like people should just let you have a nine drop for free and, and uncontested. But should it warp what is currently happening and change the landscape of the game? Absolutely so. Otherwise, why are you spending that much mana? Why are you putting it in your deck if it's not powerful enough to warp everybody's attention? Yeah. That's my my struggle is people expect to just 
win the game immediately or just get let let people run them over with it. No, people are going to push back. But yeah, I, I don't know. I, I I struggle with people getting mad that they're playing big splashy cards they can't play in other formats because that's why we all play commander that is exactly why we all play commander and right i want those high mana cards that do big transformative things and i like the way that you said that they like will warp the game and they'll do like big bonker stuff to the battlefield like that yes i'm absolutely down for that but the all eight drops when the game is a line that i just i cannot find myself agreeing with like even crater hoof behemoth needs you to have creatures in play for it to do anything which might not be a tall order but also it does like you play a fog and then it didn't win because you prevented the combat damage or even rise of the dark realms like yeah that can that can be a game ending card when i play it provided that you haven't scavenger grounds to me which matt and dana like to do quite a whole lot like right every single one of these still feels like it requires a substantial amount of setup and that setup feels answerable to me and so i just again want there to be more nuance and the all eight drops when the game thing is just a pet peeve of mine just like i don't think that this is true i think it is more complex than that and it's worth looking into that and like look into the actual high mana cards that are getting played most often in this format it's not stuff that just like on its own will just mean that the game is completely over even an end race forerunners again needs you to have some stuff going on for you so it comes down to the way that you are engaging with the game and the way that you are going about playing it and that is just a thing that matters a lot to me is all i'm trying to say yeah and and we we've even talked about too how the the typical man we talked about on this episode even how the the average mana value of decks is going down decks are getting more efficient they're getting leaner and so eventually if you get so efficient that like all of your threats you're playing these you know three mana three threes or four fours or whatever that have some sort of upside eventually somebody's going to just go big and go over the top like that's that is my entire Vivictus Asmati the Dire deck. That's it right there. It's yep. okay. You're going to play all these cool things. Cool. My well, my curve starts at four and eventually I'm just going to play eight drop after eight drop after eight drop because that's all that I have left of the deck. And and yeah, that is a different vibe than me with my Baba La Saga over there where yeah. like I have to play a whole bunch of things that are super low cost and I don't have nearly as much of the late game pound impact that that you will have because yeah. i've hyper efficiencyed that deck in a way that can't necessarily stand up to yeah you, you're playing for the early game and you have to win in the early game if we get to that stage where everybody has 12 lands in play i mean eventually i'm gonna get there just because inevitability takes over mm. that's just the trade-offs that you're making in the deck building process that you and your friends are going to encounter when you're doing this at home with your friends Matt, real quick, a, a thing that, I don't know, just makes me happy is that, like, the the whoa passion that you get, like, when you're on the show is the same whoa passion that you have when you're actually playing the game, too. And I just, sorry, maybe that's a weird thing to comment on, but I just, I, I keep, no, I, I notice it, and I just wanted to comment on it here because I think it's really adorable. So I, I mean, just, every, everybody just, yeah, we, we all love playing our Blast Furnace Hell Kites and all of our, yeah, our yeah. big, dumb dragons and whatever. And, and yeah, it's just, that's kind of why we play the game. It's, it's just a have fun and, and get to experience all these big things so i mean yeah your your apex devastators whatever like yeah it's, it's supposed to be big and splash and get all the attention so it's it's right yeah like i said i, I know i say this a lot but that's, that's why we play we play to to do these big dumb silly things and i appreciate the way that you phrased it again going back to the the point earlier of like you're saying that what those things do is they will warp a game but that isn't always the same thing as ending the game and that right there is the nuance that i appreciate the the idea of just like oh you know all, oh, all infect is bad we should raise poison or whatever like I, I think that that is a an easy thing to say that doesn't necessarily crack open the nuance as much as we want to and i think the idea of like all eight drops when the game is in a similar boat where it's just like no i don't think that all of them do they do have a game warping effect and there are some individual ones that certainly do tend to end the game but that isn't true of the entire category of cards that all cost eight mana or more and having more nuance and being more careful about the ways that we give feedback like you were saying or the ways that we talk about the game is important to making us better players and that's why we wanted to tackle this topic in the first place and i further appreciate that the way that you've defended all of your points such as by specifying warping rather than ending games is a thing that has kept making me avoid having word fisticuffs with you i wanted to have a scrap <laughs> dang it what, you want you want to have a scrap i mean <laughs> since dana's not here we i can say this without repercussions but i guess my my favorite thing and my stance on 
oh, they played an eight drop and it and it warped this game. And and I, I we do need to specify too. We, we're not meaning warping the game at large because that's that's bad for the format. <laughs> I'm talking about warping the specific sit down event. Mm. Um, so if somebody plays like a big fancy eight drop, they play a crater hoof or whatever. Just play a nine drop. Just go one more. <laughs> just play a, play a clone legion and go over the top of them. And then Dana can be mad that somebody played another big scary thing that he also has to deal with. <laughs> that's that's how I get by. When they play an eight drop, we play a nine drop is possibly my favorite. Put it on a t-shirt. I've there we go. Heard you say ever, and that is <laughs> that is a good. That is a dang funny attitude that I'm all on board with. Okay, yeah. I think we should probably move to wrap up this show. But listeners, we definitely want to hear from you. Are there other categories or indeed from these categories? Like, is it actually the whole section, the whole group of cards, the whole topic that can actually be an issue? Or are there sometimes just individual representatives from those groups, those Triumph of the hordes type of situations that might give a whole subject a bad reputation that isn't or is necessarily deserved and you know the more nuance that we get with those takes the better magic players that we will be so we would love to hear the takes that you've got out there and matt if folks want to tell us all about those fun takes where is it that they can find us on the onlines so you can find me on twitter at mathemus 55 that's m-a-t-h-i-m-u-s-5-5 you can also find dana over at, at dana roach on twitter and you can find all three of us wednesday evenings streaming over at twitch.tv slash edh recast where we have guests on every single week it's always a super fun time you can see eight drops nine drops maybe <laughs> even a 10 drop who knows depends on how squirrely we feel that night but it's always fun so make sure you tune in all those wednesday evenings and I'm Joey Schultz. You can find me at Joseph M. Schultz on Twitter. And don't forget, you can find us on patreon.com slash EDHRecast if you would like to support the show. But you can also do stuff like leave a review, subscribe on the YouTube. That also is a wonderful way to support the cast as well. You can also find us on the onlines at EDHRecast on places like Facebook and Twitter. And if you've got a question for us, you can contact us at edhretcast at gmail.com. Our thanks go out once again to Chase for assisting me with the post-production of the show. You can find them online at Mana Curves. Listeners, we'll be back at you next week with more data and insights. But until then, remember, EDH wreck your deck before you wreck your deck. <laughs> <laughs>